Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Before we jump in, we want to thank the Cosmos community for their sponsorship in making this episode possible. There are several projects building inter-blockchain communication protocols, but there's one that's currently built. Cosmos.network is on a mission to link every blockchain. Well-known projects like Terra, Band, Kava, and Secret use Cosmos and the Cosmos Hub to connect to every other chain in their network. The Cosmos Hub is completed and launched, and you could visit Cosmos.network today to check it out. The Cosmos Hub brings us that much closer to Web 3.0, and we thank the Cosmos community for sponsoring the Delphi podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy, and I help run uh, Delphi Ventures. Today, I'm extremely excited to have on a portfolio company founder and CEO, Ganesh of Covalent. Ganesh, how's it going? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, really excited to have you on. It's been a crazy day. We're recording on Wednesday, May 19th, and the sell-off is, is kind of distracting, but I'm glad we have you on to discuss a real project here. Thank you. So, Ganesh, give us a bit of your uh, give us a bit of your background. Sure. So, I'm a physicist by training, and I worked in the cancer research space for about uh, half my career, mostly building uh, pharmaceutical drugs. And uh, the challenge I had with that industry is that things move really, really slow. So, to build a, a minimum viable product takes about five years, and then phase one, phase two, and phase three uh, clinical trials. And so I pivoted my career into something faster like uh, internet technologies because most of my peers were starting companies and getting funded and going through an exit or an acquisition in uh, two years or less. And I wanted that fast pace. So for the past decade, I've been uh, cutting my teeth on big data technologies and databases, uh, database engineering. And uh, so that's really my background. So I'll go into some of the bits about how uh, we came up with the idea but I, I would like to call myself like a, a serial entrepreneur, uh, a data scientist, and I'm very, very passionate about uh, bringing transparency uh, and visibility to blockchain data. You're, every time I talk to you, you're extremely dedicated in everything you say, so I love it. I mean, the, the peer pressure of having friends going through an exit in one to two years when you're on you know, building drugs with such large timelines, that definitely is kind of taxing. So I definitely understand why you made the change. Yeah. But we'd love to learn more about uh, Covalent. Let's definitely dive in. Sure. So I've, uh, I'm now ashamed to admit this, but I had written off blockchains uh, for a very long time. I knew about Bitcoin. I knew about Ethereum. I knew about the ICO. Uh, but I just uh, wrote it off because in the database world, I'm, uh, I'm uh, used to uh, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. And when I saw something which is like 15 transactions per second, I thought it was a joke. And that's because I... Uh, uh, I, I missed the whole ethos of what decentralization brings in. Anyway, so one of our uh, friends uh, recommended that we go check out this database hackathon uh, put out by a blockchain company. 
And so uh, a couple of my friends, we just attended this hackathon over the weekend. And so what I built at that hackathon was a way to pull out data from uh, the Ethereum uh, mainnet uh, using Excel. So uh, that was the idea because uh, the data is all on the blockchain, but it's very hard to pull it out. So we built this super simple MVP just like you know two days straight and ended up winning that hackathon. And then we realized that maybe there's something, there's a commercial angle to this. Maybe this is actually uh, a need that other people uh, uh, have. And so we decided to commercialize this technology. So this was late uh, 2017, probably not the best time to start a crypto project, but you know, hindsight is 2020. So the core idea behind Covalent is that for blockchains to have enterprise adoption, it needs to speak to existing investments. And the investments can be in the people and the talent. You're not gonna retrain your people. Uh, the processes, it's too difficult and too brittle to change the existing enterprise processes. And of course, the systems and the software, because there's always one Oracle or a COBOL system in the back, uh, back room, which has been running for the last couple of decades, and there's no reason to fix it if it's not broken. So that is the, that is the genesis idea, uh, started Covalent to, to bridge the centralized and decentralized worlds. In fact, the word even covalent comes from covalent bonds in chemistry because we have this binding agent uh, between databases and blockchains or whatever analogy you want to think of. I love the background. And, you know, let's dive into a couple parts there. When you did the hackathon, what data exactly were you pulling into Excel? So this was uh, blocks transactions. So low level information, like how many transactions there were in a block and uh, who was uh, mining these transactions. So network level statistics like that. And at that point, I believe there was a couple of exchanges that were live. The precursor to the Xerox uh, was live. So very, very uh, primitive applications. So we're able to build some of the log events that were there. Uh, so very, very basic stuff. Uh, definitely not the vibrant ecosystem that we have today, but it's mostly network level statistics uh, back in 2017, mostly around the ICO uh, craze. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you mentioned that there's no way for real legacy systems to interact with blockchain data. It, it's funny you bring up like COBOL systems. Like I remember reading there's only like a couple of devs in the world or just a handful that even, you know, know how to still work on those systems. What exactly is the framing there, right? Is, is this that your view is that like all traditional, you know, legacy government systems and businesses will need to adopt blockchain tech and they just need a way to do that without changing their systems or... Is that the right kind of summation there? That's exactly right. So it's the Lindy effect in, in motion. So if you look at what has happened in the database world over the last decade, uh, even though the language that, uh, so there's, there might be a proprietary language that you can speak to these uh, databases, they've all ended up adopting SQL as the, the standard. It, it doesn't matter if you go buy a database from Apple or Google or Microsoft, uh, they all speak SQL. So that is that unifying uh, language which is used uh, to speak to databases. And that is the same kind of idea that we brought to, uh, to blockchains. So we provide a SQL-like database-like experience to the blockchain. At least that was the, the core initial idea. So it's, it's, a, it's a question about adoption. For an enterprise, uh, they're not going to move away from existing systems. They're not going to retrain their people. Uh, SQL has been around for 40 plus years, and I guarantee you, it's going to be around for the next 40 plus years. 
So this is like a, a language. And if you're trying to fasten the pace of adoption, I think it's, it's simpler to talk to people in a language that they already understand and that they know and that they recruit for. So I think that's, uh, that's where the, this idea comes in from. I really like the analogies there. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking through this. It seems like you guys are obviously in the middleware connecting two very different worlds that are, have their own issues, right? Like on one side, you guys have to track the data and make it available for, you know, <laughs> like an insane number of, you know, layer ones, uh, layer twos, Ethereum, DeFi apps. And then on the flip side, you need to, you know, offer that up in a way that traditional companies can actually use it and build products around it. And like two, you know, the both sides of that are very different issues. You know, I'd like to kind of start on the traditional side. Could you kind of give an example of maybe a product or service from a traditional company that uh, they could offer using Covalence API? I know it's kind of a vague question, but just to contextualize it a bit. So when we got started uh, late 2017 and 2018, the security token offerings, uh, real estate on the blockchain, all of those uh, those use cases, enterprise blockchains, uh, permission blockchains, those are the buzzwords of the day. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, depends on your perspective, none of those things really panned out. Uh, it's still too early. We don't see a lot of security tokens uh, yet uh, on the blockchain. So in the traditional world, the idea was that your reporting or your compliance analyst needs to do build these reports using their Oracle database, their SAP systems, maybe their, uh, their Oracle financials, any of those backend systems. And now the blockchain just looks like another data source. So they are able to create their reports in Tableau or Excel. And they don't have to download the blockchain. They don't have to learn a new language. They don't have to understand hard forks, consensus algorithms, uh, none of those things. They don't even have to run a, a blockchain node. So that was the, uh, the idea with the traditional space. That use case didn't really pan out. I mean, we built a lot of uh, proof of concepts uh, back in 2018, uh, even in 2019. None of that really panned out. I think what really, really caught fire was this native, crypto-native greenfield deployments, which is a standalone shadow or parallel infrastructure that was re- being built in the decentralized apps and the decentralized protocols. So uh, I would say it's, gonna, it's still going to take a couple of years before traditional financial systems adopt blockchains. But if that were to happen, we're ready because uh, that's, that's the world that we're building towards. That's that's incredible. And you know, from the traditional developer perspective, let's say I'm a traditional company, fintech company, um, e-commerce enterprise, what have you. If I want to access the blockchain's data, how easy is it to use Covalent? So we've made a couple of changes to our core product offering. We initially went out uh, with a product where you can run SQL against the blockchain and pull out data. So that was the initial idea. What we quickly found out is that the builders in the in the DAP space, in the uh, protocol space, did not really know SQL, don't really come from that background. They wanted a simple like a REST API or a GraphQL API. So this is why in uh, a couple of years ago, we bolted on a API on top of the, the Covalent database so that uh, developers can integrate uh, with the, the API for their applications. And as a product philosophy, uh, our goal was to minimize time to value. So today, you can use the product from the browser. Literally, you go to the Covalent API docs, and uh, it's, a, it's a live application. You just put in your wallet address, put in the blockchain that you need, and then boom, you can use the product. It's really that simple. 
So usually the time to ship a feature, let's say a portfolio uh, balance uh, indicator or a wallet balance stuff or a ROI of your positions is, is usually between uh, 20, to, 20 to 50 minutes. That's what it takes. There's nothing to learn. Everything just works uh, exactly as you, as you would expect. What is even more magical here is because we are multi-chain, you literally only have to change one character to support Binance Smart Chain or Polygon or Avalanche or Phantom or any of the other dozens of blockchains that we index and, and, and support it. So that that's really insane. One one character to to change any chain. That's that that had to have been a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, I didn't know that offhand. And so it sounds like those in the traditional space could basically build any app they want, leveraging Covalent. I mean, if I want to build a fintech app and I want to check if somebody sent a token to another address um, or an escrow or anything like that, I can basically build on top of Covalent in a similar way to devs building on ETH today. Obviously, you know, way different ecosystems, but is that a good way to summarize it? That's exactly right. So our uh, so in our thesis, we have an internal thesis. Of course, you know, investors have uh, a different thesis, but our internal thesis is that the fintech and the DeFi worlds are going to merge because I guarantee you today, every single fintech company in the world is figuring out a crypto strategy. And the first thing to start is probably just holding, you know, Bitcoin, uh, holding Ethereum, maybe holding some NFTs, and then some of these uh, newer blue chip DeFi uh, tokens like Aave or Maker and so on. And so what, what is happening under the hood is a, is a wallet, a crypto wallet. And what are the use cases that they want? They want to figure out the token balances. They want to give you the portfolio value. They want to give you a chart of how your portfolio has changed over time. They want to understand what are the transactions that uh, have changed these positions. They want to get uh, alerts and notifications. And all of those features, one-to-one, -one, there's a covalent API. So any crypt, any fintech, traditional fintech application that wants to add a crypto experience, uh, covalent is an amazing fit. And suddenly, the total addressable market for covalent is not just DeFi and NFTs and these crypto-native projects, but all of fintech, which is, which is very exciting. Build yeah, that's that's super exciting. I know we're stuck on like the traditional world, and we're in the down the crypto rabbit hole every day. But obviously, you know, the world's users and traditional companies are massive, so we have to make it work. Are you bullish though on this, like you know, traditional companies, traditional fintech creating apps to integrate with crypto? I feel like you know, not to go into like the Ethereum versus private blockchain kind of discussion of like you know past years, but. I feel like the DeFi native apps generally win, but granted, we're all kind of early. I think there's room for multiple plays here. The traditional fintech world, what's happening is that the millennials and the younger generations are starting with a crypto wallet first. I, uh, in, in our community, we have uh, teenagers, 13, 14, 15, having crypto wallets and uh, playing with NFTs and minting NFTs and having a lot of fun. In fact, even making a lot of money. And they're just completely locked out of the traditional banking system. So I think uh, for fintech companies to figure out how to uh, tap into that market, they will have to add crypto. And you're able, you're starting to see early signs of that with PayPal accepting crypto, uh, and you know this is happening more and more. Uh, Chrissy is accepting NFTs now. That's like a traditional world that is uh, you know opening up to the digital asset space. So I think it's happening. Uh, everything has to go through a S curve. Uh, it's just a matter of you know how fast can we make that S curve uh, uh, run. 
That makes a lot of sense. And so let's switch over to the other side of this, which is the actual technical capability of supporting all these blockchains to bring all of this data to developers. You guys are like have an ambitious project. Like you already support Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, Avalanche, Phantom. There's a lot more that you you aim to support in the next six, 12 months. How do you handle all this, right? Because it seems hard enough to like index and query one chain, let alone support, you know, multiple different ones. And to your point, make it as easy as just changing one character for a developer to kind of access that. Absolutely. So we are product focused and market focused engineers. So our focus 100% is on the developer experience. Like that is that is our entire uh, focus. So what we've built is a vertically integrated solution from the API to uh, the query layer, to the indexing layer, to even the blockchain nodes. So we actually host our own blockchain nodes for all of these things. So we have a fleet of dozens of blockchain nodes uh, because today, uh, I don't think there are any professional teams that's able to handle the scale of these newer blockchain nodes like the Binance Smart Chain and, uh, and so on. So we've taken a vertical uh, integration approach to build this whole thing. Yes, it was a lot of work, but uh, I think in hindsight, 2019, 2018, 2019 uh, was just for us to build tech, build, build, build. All we did was uh, ship, ship product, ship product, ship product, refined, refined, refined. And so what we've been able to do over the last couple of years is build a very, very polished uh, experience and uh, something that just works. And so once we hit that, uh, that milestone, then it's time to you know, open up, go to market, uh, open up the possibilities. So we are not going to lose that ethos of having that super slick experience. And this is why all of the community members, all of the validators, uh, in fact, all of the uh, the nodes that we uh, co-host, uh, they all have to go through a due diligence check because we never want to lose that experience that developers have. So it is a lot of work, but it's definitely gotten easier now that uh, we have a lot of automation in place. Makes sense. I mean, as their ecosystems grow, like, is there a level of technical debt that becomes like, I guess, how do you stay ahead of it, right? Like, you know, you have something like uh, Solana, and I, I don't think you guys support Solana yet. You know, correct me if I'm wrong there. But, you know, if you have something like a Polygon or an Avalanche or another chain, and let's say they have a, you know, flourishing DeFi ecosystem built on top of it or some, you know, new one for Sino ecosystem, how do you stay on top of, you know, all of that? You know, I'm not sure what goes into it, but I'm sure there's a lot of technical work that goes into supporting everything built on top of them. So one of the magical things and one of the unique uh, features of the covalent uh, technology is that we make an exact replica of the underlying blockchain, which means for an EVM-based chain, it's literally a turnkey solution. So it takes us less than half a day to support any EVM-based chain. It's really that simple. So the world is now starting to segregate into EVM-based chains and non-EVM-based chains. And so on the EVM side, you have uh, obviously Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain and Phantom and Avalanche, the C chain, and uh, and uh, Optimism and Scale, and uh, the list just goes on. Those are all EVM-based chains. On the non-EVM-based chains, uh, this would be Solana, this would be Near, this would be Elrond, uh, this would be some of the other more uh, purpose-built uh, products like Tezos and so on. So our focus uh, has been on the EVM-based chains because it's literally just a turnkey solution. We just have to uh, configure a couple of uh, variables and then let it run. 
So it's really that simple. And this is why we've been able to, uh, to get massive traction on the EVM-based chain. The challenge on the non-EVM-based chain is that every single blockchain is a unique snowflake, which means you need to recruit someone from their uh, community who understands the data structures on the, on the blockchain. On the EVM side, on the Ethereum side, they've already put in our 10,000 hours. So we know this is like the back of our hand. We have the expertise in-house. We know all of the failure points. But for the non-EVM-based chains, we don't really have the expertise. And that is really what our scaling problem is. We have a lot of customer demand for Solana. The Solana Foundation itself is very interested in working with Covalent. But at the end of the day, the talent is what the limiting factor is. We're just not able to find people who know uh, the Solana data structures and the Solana ecosystems like really, really well uh, in order to index their chain. Makes sense. It's cool that you guys could support new EVM chains so fast. And I, I like that you have like specific people specialize on a per chain basis. That's awesome. So you really have people um, kind of digging in. And I, I guess switching gears a little bit, um, I mean, the, the main competitor I see in the space for you guys is kind of the graph. How do you guys differentiate first the, uh, first the graph? I know in like past conversations, it's more of like a pretty big difference on the vision, but I guess what are the main differences there? Sure. So there's a, there's a high level philosophical question, which is, I think, the, the main difference let me explain the use case with an analogy. So the graph is like an Excel sheet for every single protocol out there. So they have an Excel sheet, uh, which they call as a subgraph for Uniswap. They have a Excel sheet for Balancer. They have an Excel sheet for one inch. And all of these subgraphs or these Excel sheets are all formatted differently. They don't really talk to each other. And it's, it's very difficult to do like the, the cross uh, protocol, cross chain kind of like queries. Covalent's approach is very different. Covalent, what we've done is we've copied out, we've made an exact replica of the underlying blockchain and put it into one giant Excel sheet. So we have this one sheet that has every single balance, every single transaction, every single log event, every single storage, right? Everything that is on the, on the underlying blockchain. And then we ask our developers to make simple pivot tables, use, basically using drag and drop tools to create pivot tables in order to consume that data. So I think from a, from a high level analogy perspective, uh, that's, that's the core difference. Philosophically, we believe in a no code solution, which means this goes back to the product vision. We want developers to get value from the browser. So if you want to pull out the, uh, the balances from your wallet across eight different blockchains, it's literally, you can use it from the browser. You can try it out. It takes less than a minute. It's really that simple. With the subgraph approach, you require an engineer to write a subgraph, which are all these transformations, and they need to understand the nuances of uh, what's going on with the blockchain. So we've automated all of that away. So I think philosophically, that's where the difference is. Uh, I think they're giving, uh, they're empowering developers. We're de uh, we empowering people to build uh, better experiences, richer dApps. Uh, so I think that's where the core difference is. There are lots of other differences in the token and the technology and the stack and the team. Uh, but those are the, those two bullet points are the highlight, highlights. No, that, that's awesome. And I mean, I'm, I'm a non-dev here, so correct me if I'm, I'm totally off on this one. But I guess the graph incentivizes like experts for each app to create a subgraph. Meanwhile, you guys internally hire, say, an expert who is like solely focused on that. Is there a difference in the way that you guys, I guess, incentivize or provide coverage for different ecosystems or am I thinking about that the wrong way? 
It's kind of right. So we're we're evolving our model as we speak. So we have three classes of endpoints that are uh, that are interesting to to builders. The class A endpoints are generic endpoints that are just supported out of the box. So these would be give me historical granular transactions. This is useful for taxation, for example. Give me all of the ERC twenty transfers uh, for any token. Give me the token balances. Give me the NFTs and their historical pricing. So these endpoints are the class A endpoints that are supported across the eight or so different blockchains that we index today. That's the class A endpoints. Of course, those are maintained by Covalent. The class B endpoints are app-specific endpoints. So for example, if you go to the CoinGecko or the CoinMarketCap uh, PancakeSwap page, all of that is powered by Covalent. And so that's app-specific. PancakeSwap lives on Binance Smart Chain. So this is an app-specific endpoint that's useful for pulling out the, the exchange pools, the, the tokens that are on the thing, the total liquidity, and so on. So, so far, we've been building these class B endpoints. So I believe we have Uniswap, PancakeSwap, SushiSwap, Aave, all the major protocols. And when we started out in 2019, there were probably just a dozen, uh, dozen protocols. It was easy for us to uh, build all of that in-house. Uh, now the space is completely exploded. There's just no way for us to maintain it. So what we've uh, done is uh, we are just supporting the top maybe 15 protocols, and these are like high-quality integrations. So we've now opened up what is known as a Class C endpoint, which is essentially a marketplace. So anyone can go in and build their own app-specific endpoint. So for example, today we got uh, a request for QuickSwap, which is the Uniswap clone on Polygon. We don't have a Class B endpoint for that, but they can go build their own class uh, Class C endpoint. And I think that's really where we're going to maximize the utility of Covalent. So that's uh, still being built. It's it's in private beta. There's a few few dozen people who have access to this tool, uh, and you can now contribute your own uh, endpoints and essentially, you know, get a, like a like a cut of the query fees if people use your endpoints. That's that's pretty cool. And a couple other like high level questions on the comparisons here. Like in the traditional market, there's obviously a lot of middleware plays that go like, you know, people don't really know about that are powering apps they love, experiences they love. Is there like, a, obviously we live in a multi-chain world. Do you have any comparisons to the traditional world on like having multiple providers, like say you and the graph thrive? Like, is there like a corollary in the traditional world? Yeah. So the best example we like to use is Twilio and WhatsApp. So Twilio is a telephony middleware product. Uh, it's an API. There's no real front end. Uh, and it's a multi-billion dollar public company. So it's one of the biggest successes of the last decade. So that's an example of a middleware API specifically focused on uh, telephony applications. And WhatsApp is built atop Twilio. So WhatsApp is uh, all of the telephony features like SMS and voice calls and all that is powered by Twilio. But WhatsApp has a retail consumer bent. Uh, it's not really meant for developers. So that's an example where there's really a, like an ecosystem there where you can have multi-billion dollar companies on the middleware layer and then on the application layer. So I think the same thing is going to happen here with the, the indexing query layer and the applications on top. That's awesome. Yeah, in a past life, I, I loved Twilio and, and you know, not, it wasn't able to cover it, but loved following it. I used to cover the telco side, but that's an awesome comparison. And I guess the other question is, the graph is solely focused, I guess, today on Ethereum. And, you know, I'm not going to say I know their plans because I, I don't offhand and I'm not really too up to speed there. But 
Do you think that they have plans to expand beyond Ethereum? And even if they do, would that impact anything? So they have expanded to other ecosystems. So if you see the PancakeSwap uh, analytics site, uh, that is using a subgraph under the hood. But they're they're having some challenges. You know, I'm not I'm not here to uh, you know dish on the graph. You know, they they they're doing they have their own uh, path and they're charting their own course. So the multi-chain future is a reality. And uh, I'm not talking about what's just going on in this space. Uh, let's go back to the traditional world. My experience comes from the database world. And in the database world, you literally have over 600 databases for different use cases. There's, there's a site called dbdb.io. So it's a database of databases, and it literally has 600 databases. So you have, database, you have databases for time series, you have databases for graphs, you have key value stores, you have just re regular relational databases, you have uh, NoSQL databases. The world is very diverse, and you cannot have a one-size-fits-all kind of uh, uh, solution or a tool out there. And I think blockchains are the same. So the multi-chain future is, uh, is a given. And uh, we are perfectly positioned for that because our unified API, you literally just chain one chain, one character, and it supports all of the other uh, uh, blockchains. So would the, the graph going multi-chain, uh, would that have impact us? I would say not really, because you still have to write those subgraphs. You still have to uh, sync the subgraph. You still have uh, all of those, those core issues that you have with Ethereum. So that's, uh, yeah, it doesn't really uh, come into play for us. Makes sense. Totally does. And I guess the other questions we generally have are whenever we look at a project, I have to play the dumb like host here, even though we know the story, but it's just like on attack vectors, right? Like, you know, how hard would it be to hack covalent to mess with the data? Because that has second order implications for, you know, anybody trying to mess with any applications that use or leverage covalent, right? How is the architecture of Covalent built to protect against, I guess, you know, economically incentivized attackers or those that you know have you know unlimited money? Anybody could hack anything. But you know, what are what are the plans there, or what is the current architecture to prevent against that? So this is where the decentralized network uh, comes into play. So for the past couple of years, Covalent has been a centralized solution. We started as a SaaS product and uh, we became profitable as a firm. Uh, because we were bootstrapped, it was important for us to focus on revenue-generating activities. And that's just the reality of the bear market and, uh, and not having access to venture capital. So that is the path that we took. And once the company became profitable uh, and then uh, the market turned and people started to understand products like Covalent, uh, we were able to scale using uh, venture capital. Now, there, there are definitely limits to how big Covalent can become as a centralized player. If you want to make uh, Covalent as a public good, if you want to make it uh, completely, like make it usable by everyone in the ecosystem, become uh, a mainstay of the, the crypto, eco, crypto blockchain ecosystem, it has to be decentralized. And so we've been, we've been building a decentralized version of Covalent over the last uh, year. Uh, so we've uh, we have a mainnet that's running. Uh, we have the uh, the proofs that are being built. So essentially, what we've done is we've taken this architecture of the indexing nodes, uh, the storage layer, which is the covalent database, and then the query API, the covalent API. We've taken that and we are starting to decentralize that uh, with our partners. So we've recruited uh, four validators to be our initial set. Uh, we're working closely with them to make sure it, it works and it scales. So 
From a customer standpoint, nothing is going to change. They'll continue to use the REST API. They'll continue to see the benefits of that unified uh, API. Just magically now, the APIs are going to be dirt cheap and they're going to be uh, super fast. So from a, from a technology standpoint, every single uh, data that's being written to the Covalent database is going to be snapshotted because it's going to be a, a proof of stake and uh, they have to put up a stake in order to participate uh, in the network. Makes sense. And what's the end goal for you on the decentralization side, I guess, of Covalent? I would say Covalent should be a public good. It should be something that anyone can go in and participate, can query data out of it without talking to Covalent, the, the, the company, the founders, the Genesis team, the community. It should be as simple as Uniswap, right? You, you don't have to ask anyone's permission to list your token. I mean, that's where, really where this gets very exciting. If you want to get your token listed on Binance or Coinbase, there's this huge process that you have to go through. You have to go through all the legal stuff. You have to go through all the compliance stuff. There's a lot of work that you have to do. Sometimes you even have uh, pretty crazy exchange listing fees. With Uniswap, literally, you need to just go out there and list your uh, token and create an exchange. It's truly permissionless. So I think that's uh, one of the, the core things that we're going after. The second thing, second question I'd like to ask projects is, why do you want to decentralize? And usually it comes down to taking out uh, uh, the rent seekers or removing a single point of failure or making it like censorship residence or permissionless. For us, the resiliency is extremely, extremely important. One of the challenges with covalence architecture is that we have this giant database, which is terabytes and billions of rows of data. And that's going to be a natural scaling bottleneck for us. So by decentralizing it, it's no longer a single point of failure. It's actually going to be truly resilient. It's almost going to be as good as Ethereum itself. Ethereum has had no downtime in the last, I would say, four or five years. And we want Covalent to be as robust and as resilient as that. And that means removing that single point of failure, which is, uh, which is Covalent, the company. So that's really what our end goal is for, with, with the project. That's pretty cool. You know, I haven't seen, I mean, they're out there, right? But it, it's really hard for me to find an example of like a traditional company that went the SaaS route and is now decentralizing, right? Like, you know, one of our portfolio companies that I'm a huge fan of, Tokamak and Fractal, they had a traditional market making business that they're decentralizing over time. But, you know, that switch is just so different in the mind of a founder and the focus and, and just the internal culture and everything. You know, how hard has that change been for you? Or is that something that was always part of the plan? So it has been a very difficult change, right? But the advantage we have is we scaled the company to profitability as just two people. Literally, this time last year, we were two people, just the two founders. So for us, uh, you know, we're, uh, so my other co-founder built the first Bitcoin exchange in Canada a long time ago. So we've been in the space in the database and in the blockchain space for a while. And so I think it was easy for us to switch because we didn't have any of the baggage, right? We literally just had these enterprise clients who paid us money. And then there's this, uh, there's this contractual agreement. We didn't really have, uh, this ocean of, of, uh, you know, dApps using us for free or any of that stuff. So for us, we were able to build from the ground up, uh, with this, with this new vision in, in place. And so, uh, this is why we have all of the community, uh, engagement programs, uh, and we're, we've been rebuilding some of the, the portions of the stack within the ethos of uh, decentralized networks. I would say it's still not clear if you can build something completely in the open from day one. And an example of this is Uniswap, right? Uniswap just uh, works behind the scenes for 
uh, you know, six months to a year, and then they drop something magical after that period. Uh, unlike SushiSwap, where they do all of the development in the open. So I think there's approaches, uh, both approaches can work. Uh, this is the route that we've taken because that's just uh, how we started the, the project. That's awesome. No, it's uh, it's not easy internally to make that switch. So, you know, kudos to you guys. And I guess just switching gears a little bit um, and just to close out, you know, how much traction ha- does Covalent have right now? Like how many projects, are there any metrics you can share on, I guess, the amount of index transaction you guys have or price fees or, or you know, anything you can share on the indexing or, or uptake side would be great to kind of drive this home for people of, that are thinking of using Covalent. Sure. So uh, we have over 150 projects building on Covalent. So all the big players, if you were to use uh, CoinGecko, uh, a lot of their pages are powered by Covalent. Uh, CoinMarketCap is the same. Uh, Zerion, a lot of their Binance Smart Chain and Polygon data comes from Covalent. Uh, Xerox, uh, the Matcha product, a lot of their stuff comes from Covalent. Balancer, the list just goes on. In the NFT space, we're, again, pretty big. Chain Guardians, Ethermon, Terra Virtua, uh, so on. In the uh, yeah, I think you know at this point uh, it's it's just uh, very hard to keep up. Uh, we literally get fifty or sixty new signups every day by developers. We also run these massive hackathons that engages uh, developers. So we are able to push upwards of five hundred requests per second uh, sustained. So that that's like billions of queries uh, every month. Uh, we don't really keep track of the query volume per se because I think that's just a, I think it's a vanity metric. All of this is going to be on chain, so anyone can pull up uh, the the traction metrics uh, with due course of time. Uh, but I would say you know uh, the product is completely free to use. You can literally go sign up for an API key and start using the product. Usually we have the tutorials and the onboarding guides, and you can ship like a wallet application within within sixty minutes. That's really what our goal is. So yeah, so we have uh, uh, some amazing players. We are also, uh, lots of projects are now starting to uh, include Covalent as part of their uh, building roadmap rather than bolting on uh, Covalent towards the end. So that's pretty exciting to see. So we have some pretty major projects that are going live uh, with us, which we'll announce uh, in due course. That's awesome, Ganesh. And, and I'd be remiss not to ask about the token a bit more. I know we covered it a little bit, but you guys had your sale on CoinList. What are the long-term plans for the Covalent Query Token? And I guess, how does that play into you know, your vision of a more decentralized um, version of Covalent? Absolutely. So the, we've taken a unique approach to the Covalent Token. So what we've done is uh, the Covalent Token is not a payment token, which means that uh, customers do not require the token to utilize the system. And I think the, the payment uh, token use case is uh, is a 2017 era hangover, which doesn't really work because you don't want to have these customers exposed to the volatility of the the token itself. You know, a day like today where there was a 40% drop and they find that they can consume only 40% less of the service is just uh, just a bummer. Uh, so we don't want to have that. You know, enterprises definitely want to budget the use of uh, uh, of their service. So uh, all the payment is going to be done in stablecoin. So that's on the on the customer usage side. And then what happens in the smart contract is that there's going to be a market buy of the stablecoin into the covalent token. And then the covalent token is going to be distributed to the network based on the amount of work that they do for uh, indexing and query. So that's really how the token is going to, uh, is going to circulate. And uh, because the token is, uh, is fixed supply, there's no inflation, 
which means that as more and more query volume picks up, uh, more and more revenue accrues to the system. And that's that's how token uh, value accrues to the network itself. Uh, in, awesome. terms, in terms of the Sorry, settlement, uh, I just want to say something about the settlement. So the token itself is a, a regular ERC-20 uh, uh, contract. So there's nothing special about it. Uh, and it's going to live on the Ethereum mainnet. Uh, again, nothing magical there. But the settlement is we've picked Moonbeam, which is a Polkadot parachain, to do the settlement. So these queries are microtransactions. So they're going to be paying per query, just like how they pay per API call. Uh, but Ethereum is too slow to settle these microtransactions. So after a pretty comprehensive due diligence, we've even written a blog post about it, talking to 12 different blockchains and you know, uh, getting their pros and cons, not just from a from a technical perspective, but also from a go-to-market perspective, we've uh, we've chosen upon Moonbeam uh, from the Polkadot ecosystem. So the covalent network is going to settle onto the Moonbeam network, but the balances will be snapshotted to the Ethereum mainnet, almost like how you know you have like a Matic token on the mainnet, and then it's snapshotted to the sidechain, and then it's snapshotted back uh, every epoch as a checkpoint. So it's almost the same uh, same kind of technology. Awesome and. What are the security concerns, I guess, with using Moonbeam essentially as a sidechain? Like, are there any risk or economic attack factors there? So definitely, it uh, it relies on the security of uh, Moonbeam to uh, to keep the covalent network secure. But this is not a payment network; it's a query and and uh, you know it's a query network. It's a data network. So you, in theory, what you can do is you can hack uh, the the Moonbeam network. And then make sure that the, the the answers that you get from the covalent network are falsified. But uh, that's that's the attack vector here. Awesome. Now it's it's a interesting architecture. And Ganesh, where can people learn more about covalent? And I guess like where's the best place to send developers from the traditional world or the crypto world to you know use uh, covalent? You know, hopefully right after listening to this pod. Absolutely. So we have two paths to engage with the, the, the community and uh, the project. Uh, covalenthq.com is the primary uh, website. So C-O-V-A-L-E-N-T-H-Q.com. And the two paths is one for developers. So you can go uh, sign up for a free API key, use a product from the browser, and then build your wallet, build your uh, you know taxation tool, whatever that use case is. So this is one way to engage with a product. The second way to engage is what we what is known as the Alchemist program. So this is our growth and leadership program. We have a few thousand people who uh, are alchemists as part of the covalent community. And so these alchemists, uh, they do developer augmentation. They do global expansion. So every piece of content that we put out is translated into about a dozen languages within half a day. That's an example. And then they help with all of our hackathons. So they're part of our community. And so there's a very vibrant uh, ecosystem of these guys. Uh, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, participating in that. So definitely take a look at the Alchemist uh, uh, program. Uh, that's also available from the uh, website. But those are the two major paths. And then uh, the Alchemist is where uh, you can become uh, like a node hoster, a node staker. You can uh, you have that dashboards for figuring out your uh, when once the token is live, the token is not live yet. Uh, you know your yield and all that stuff. So uh, these are the two major paths. That's awesome, Ganesh. I'll definitely share all the links to that in the show notes and super excited to have you on again. We could go into you know, a bunch of different routes here. So really great that we have this kind of foundational episode down and uh, you know, we're super amped to be investors in you guys. Uh, cap that as a disclosure here. 
and uh, I'll definitely have you on again soon. Thanks, Tom. Really enjoyed this. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.